fire. Our culture is disintegrating. Hey, pass the salt. Hey, you, pass the salt. You know what, why it's disintegrating? Because we're jellyfish. <laughs> pass the salt, will you? Pass the salt. Pass the salt, amigo. It's time. It's time. I think they could give us a new name. I believe we are Evan Jellyfish. Hey, will you pass the salt? Pass the salt. We need salt over here. It's time for Pass the Salt. Pass but we like to share the gospel without any backbone to it, see? The views, opinions, and seemingly outrageous comments expressed in this program are based on the Holy Spirit leading of a man called Coach. I gotta ask you this out there, Christian America. It's time for Pass the Salt with a Coach, Dave Daubenmeyer. Hey, good morning. It's actually not Coach Dave this morning although he's going to probably be live with us here in just a little bit. This is Clay Parker. I'm the uh, primary contact for the Tennessee Salt and Light Brigade. So today I guess I'm uh, quarterbacking or special teams coordinator or something like that for coach. We'll bring him in here if he joins us later so that you can actually have Coach Dave live. He is uh, on the road today getting ready to go to the Wisconsin Christian News Conference called The Great Pushback Against the Reset. That's this evening at 6 p.m. in Rothschild, Wisconsin, and it'll also be tomorrow. So, uh, Spencer, you want to pull that up just for a second? Let them see the flyer. All right, there you go. Go to Coach Dave Live events page. Check out that flyer. You got Sharam Hadian. If you don't know about him, and you're not familiar with it, you need to go to uh, Patriot Church down in Lenore City near Knoxville, Tennessee, and check out that church, Patriot Church in Knoxville. You also got John Dislin. Coach is going to be speaking. And let me show, show you this on my camera. That's good, Spencer. I got my Wisconsin Christian newspaper, Wisconsin Christian News. I got it in the mail. 48 pages, I think it is, of colored material. You open the first page of this newspaper, and Coach Dave Live has an ad, Coach Dave Daubenmeyer. So please support that Wisconsin Christian newspaper. Rob Pugh runs that. He's a great fella. Well, happy Friday, everybody. And it's a good Friday. Last Friday was Good Friday, but this Friday is just as good. We're celebrating the Lord in the Spirit. I was going through some things yesterday, and I found this. See if you can see that. Uh, Jesus never fails. My grandmother had that hanging on her wall my entire life. It's all wrinkled, battered, and torn. And it was like that when it was still hanging on the wall. I don't know how long she had it. But my sweet grandmother, her name was Gladys Lillian Parker. And uh, I found that yesterday. And it's, it's amazing how memories stick into your head. So don't think that the things that you are doing doesn't have an effect on your children and your grandchildren. Even the things that you hang up in your house have an effect. And my grandmother, I looked at her name up yesterday to see what Gladys means. 
Gladys means sword. And Lillian, her middle name, means pledged to God. Sword pledged to God. And I thought that was amazing because of the way that my grandmother handled herself. About middle age, she was in a wheelchair. She got struck down with a brain aneurysm. And at that time, she wasn't supposed to survive, but they were able to save her. And she was paralyzed on half of her body. And uh, she lived the rest of her life in that wheelchair. And she wasn't hardly able to ever go outside. We'd take her out on the porch and let her watch people walk by. But she 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 was kind of uncomfortable about getting out of the house for some reason. So it was very seldom that she got to enjoy the outdoors. But she still had a wonderful attitude. She read her Bible every day. She praised Jesus every day. And she loved God. And she uh, she'd always tell me, she said, I'm going to be the first one that you see when you go to heaven. She said, I'm going to be the first one that greets you when you go to heaven. And she would talk about heaven. And when my grandfather passed away, uh, a little while after he passed away, uh, she said she had a dream that my grandfather, my papa's what I called him, that he came and got her and took her to heaven to show her around. And one thing that she used to like to do before she was crippled, she said she used to like to, uh, she played a lot of sports and stuff. But she used to like to wade in streams. So uh, he said she took that. She she said he uh, took her to heaven and let her uh, and showed her around and let her wade in the stream. And then uh, she said while she was wading in the stream, she uh, my grandfather said, uh, "How's the boys?" And uh, that would be probably me and my father and my uncle that he was asking about in her dream. And she said they're doing good. And I thought that was an awesome dream that she had that she shared with me. And uh, her spirit was just wonderful. And since she talked about heaven so much, and we all look forward to going to heaven and being together in a happy place, I wanted to dedicate a song that we're about to play to uh, my grandmother and also to people like Mark Mattingly and Joe Silver that are are going through some rough times right now and they're going to be looking forward to being together with us one day on this uh, earth when Jesus comes back and creates the new earth and the new heaven. Spencer, let's celebrate everybody and enjoy this first two minutes and, and uh, 24 seconds of this song.
good old days But it's tomorrow Everybody under the sun Who's happy just to live as one No borders or battles to be won Good, Spencer. Thank you, brother. How about that? I'll tell you what, that reminds me of going back out, out to Tanner Williams is what we called it. It's out on the Alabama-Mississippi line and spending times out there with my cousins out there when I was growing up. And uh, let's, let, let's let that set the theme for celebrating today and going into this weekend. Let's be cheerful. Let's have no fear. And let's take the Holy Spirit to others and share that that kind of joy with them as we go through this weekend together. Now, I see Coach joined us here a minute ago. So after we get get this communion done, I hope everybody's got their elements this morning. Uh, Joe Kiriko, how are you this morning, brother? Well, as my good friend Alan used to say, I'm good and getting gooder. Good and getting gooder. Or if I were any better, I'd be twins. <laughs> I hear you. Good to see you, brother. Thanks for getting up this early and blessing us with uh, communion. It's always a pleasure to have you in here leading us. It's always good to see you. Well, it's really like coming home to see you guys. All right. So if if we could go to Isaiah 25, 7 to 9, please. Give me that again, Joe. Isaiah 25, 7 to 9. All right. Can you see it, Joe? Yes, sir. And he will destroy in this mountain the face of the covering cast over all people and the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death in victory. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from off all faces. And the rebuke of his people shall he take away from off all the earth. For the God, for the Lord hath spoken it. And it shall be said in that day, Lo, this is our God. We have waited for him, and he will save us. This is the Lord, and we have waited for him, and we will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Amen. I, I like this because it reminded us of the prophetic roots of, of communion, of salvation, and of the cross and the resurrection. That's a beautiful verse right there. I haven't read that verse in a while. No, Thanks I just, for sharing that with us, Joe. I was sort of showing it last night. Then I hadn't read it in a while either. I think since the last time I went through the whole Bible. So if we could go to um, uh, Matthew 26, 26 to 29, please. 
And I'll, I'll start with a short prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. Another one you have given us, even though there's no guarantee. Thank you so much for the ability to be together from across this great nation and and this and parts of this world. Thank you for the blessings you've shed upon us and do every day for every breath that we take and every time our heart beats. Let us not take all of these things for granted, but rejoice and be grateful. And Lord, uh, please cleanse us as we as we examine ourselves uh, in this moment where we're sharing uh, the bread and, and, and drink representing your body and your blood that you shed for us. Bless this bread and this drink and have, let it have a, a, an amazing effect on our bodies. Let it be the meal that heals uh, for anything wrong with our bodies, with our souls, with our spirits. Lord, let this little small meal we shared this morning be the meal that heals. And we yeah. thank you. We thank you, Lord, for letting us have a God that gave his only begotten son for our, so that we may have everlasting life if we believe in him. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen, amen. And as they were eating, amen. Jesus took bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, You're Joe. Welcome. It's my privilege. As I was preparing for the show this morning, I was looking at that. And uh, at the scripture, Matthew 26, verse 24, Jesus, right before they took the elements, he said, The Son of Man goeth as it is written of him, but woe unto that man by whom the son of man is betrayed. It had been good for that man. If he had not been born. Well, the reason that Jesus. Had to come to the earth and suffer and die on the cross is because we were going to be sinful. And we weren't going to be able to get to heaven without him. And uh, let us not go out today. And as we live and betray Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hey, Coach, you still in here? I saw you. There we go. Now we got Coach Dave live. Can you come in and join us and tell us what's happening on the road? Are you? Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah. Man, I've never done this. I'm. I'm trying to be quiet because it's. Uh, it's very early here in Wisconsin. 
And I wanted to check in here just because I can say 1,869 show. I was here. I didn't miss it. <clears throat> but I, I appreciate Clay being in here and a little bit of a change of pace. And uh, I'll have it on. I'll be listening to it. But I'm I'm really going to kind of step away a little bit just because, look, I can't do the show here in this hotel. I'll wake everybody up, right? You got, I'm sure you guys understand that. But I want to. I just want to share something real quickly with you here this morning. <clears throat> I'm going to maybe move over. Really. I don't want to wake up people next door. Uh, <clears throat> there's a lot going on, folks. There's a lot going on, and what that, what, what I mean by that is, <laughs> excuse me. By the way, I figured something out, Spencer. The headphones I have here are so much better than the ones I'm using in my studio. I'm going to change headphones. Maybe we'll be better. I won't have to. I'll be able to hear from now on. And anyway, friends, listen, just real quickly, Clay, because I know you've prepared some stuff. Just give me a couple minutes here. God's <clears throat> uh, grace. You, you know, you could you could live a you could live a perfect life. You could you could wake up one day and you could fall on your face before the Lord and receive his grace, receive his forgiveness, and walk the rest of your life and never walk out of the of the path or the boundaries that the Lord has laid for you. You live a perfect life. And still, the consequences of sin are so crushing that the Bible says that the, that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. And I, I know as I, you know, I know some things you guys don't know. And I know there's some people out there in our in our our family. I'd like to call it a family in in Coach Dave Live Land that are really really walking through some stuff. Really really struggling. Really struggling. And one of the reasons that we're struggling is because we are the ones who bear the consequence of the sin. We bear it. No matter how righteous and holy you are, you could fast every day. You could pray 70 hours a day, although I guess that's not possible. You could pray 24 hours a day. You could dedicate your whole life to Christ. And the reality of it is the consequences of the sin in the lives of other people always impact us, don't they? You know what I'm talking about? You, you could you could just Amen. do that. You, you could do everything right, man, just everything right, and still – a pile of crap gets shoveled on you because why? Because of somebody else's disobedience. Now, I often say, as you guys have heard me say here, that God forgives us from the from sin, but not the consequences of sin. And the thing that makes sin so deadly is that it, it does impact innocent people. And some of you right now are walking through stuff that you don't deserve to walk through. Wasn't anything that you did wrong, wasn't anything, nothing happened, just all of a sudden, boom, this pile of crap is in your lap. So I think that we would, if, if, we, would, if we would come to the realization that in this, this society, in this culture that we lived in, if we taught these precepts to our children and to, our, to those we love and we demanded their obedience to them, do you have any idea? How much heartache would, would disappear from the face of the earth? And isn't it always true? You think about a divorce. I was thinking, I'm thinking about that earlier today. Um, husband and a wife can't get along, so they get divorced. Where does the consequence of that divorce fall? Falls on the children. And no matter how you make it, try to make it right, and you go on maybe a couple years later and you get married to another man, it's 
and it's good, and uh, he takes over your family and raises your family, that scar never, ever leaves. There's consequences to it. So I think we need to, we need to, uh, sometimes you've, I've heard somebody say, then I'll be done, Clay. Uh, why do bad things happen to good people? What's sin? It's, it's sin. And I think of the, of the 10 grandchildren Michelle and I have and the three children that we have. When one of those knucklehead gets out of line, it impacts me. I'm not even doing anything wrong. I'm praying for him. I'm do, doing everything I can to help them have a righteous, godly life. And I'll be daggone if somebody doesn't poop in my pancakes. Know what I'm talking about? Amen. So this, this, is, the, this is the consequence of, of life, man. Consequences of it. And I was thinking as you were playing that video there at the beginning, Clay, boy, it would be nice, wouldn't it? Would, would it be nice? Huh? Mm. Wouldn't it really be nice? Is that really what heaven's going to really be like? Well, we have that hope, right? Bible says if we have hope in this world, we are all men most miserable. So I'm going to hand it off because I know Clay's put a lot of time and effort and energy into it. Remember this, friends. <clears throat> I don't care what kind of sin you do. Lay in it. Wallow in it. It's up to you, dude. The man you're peeing all over everybody else. When you sin, that those raindrops fall on somebody else. And I think that we have to realize that as we walk through life, it's a consequence of us. Sinful man, sinful condition that we're in. And just pray that the grace of God would fall upon you wherever you are, whatever you're going through, whoever whoever has deceived you, whoever, whoever has let you down, whoever, whatever, whatever, whatever mess you're cleaning up and you didn't even do anything. Just understand, man, the far-reaching consequences of sin. Blessings to all of you today. Clay, thanks for sitting in for me. And I'm going to be listening, but I I, I got some other stuff I got to do. Appreciate y'all. Appreciate you, Coach. Thanks for coming in and and, uh, taking the time to to give us your live appearance. It's always a blessing to hear you every morning. We didn't want to miss you this morning. We love you, Coach. All right. If you will. Hold off on raising your hands for just a little while. We've got a lot of content to go through. As I said, I was going through some things yesterday, and I was trying to figure out what the content of the show would be. And uh, I came across a couple of old car tags. Here's one from back in the day, Mark Martin. That's back when I used to watch NASCAR. And that, that brings back memories. When my little girl, who's 27 years old now, was probably about three years old, two or three years old, and I used to watch NASCAR, we'd sit on the couch together, and as the cars come around, when they got, uh, they went all the way around the track, and then when they got close to us, and they were coming past, I taught her how to go, woo! Every time the cars come around, so we'd sit on the couch, and here come the NASCARs, and uh, then when my, my second daughter that daughter came, there'd be three of us sitting alongside each other on the couch uh, waiting for the cars to come around. And, and that was uh, some good times back then. It's funny how your priorities change. I, I couldn't tell you who's racing cars anymore. I hadn't watched the race in probably a decade or more. Uh, but that's good memories. And then uh, I came across this car tag. MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network. I used to be a uh, 
an inspector for a field inspector for the mutual ufo network and then uh i worked into being the state section director for the state of alabama and it started and then you know going through some of these old uh files and stuff i found some articles here that i'd cut out of the paper when i was doing that kind of stuff mutilation of cattle space aliens or a cult i went and did some a cattle mutilation investigation down in alabama this particular one right here and uh it says mutilation is likely caused by birds or small animals uh investigators says occult activity not likely involved ufo expert they're talking about me right there <laughs> ufo expert interested in local case now i don't know why they call me an expert i don't know where they got that from because i can tell you that i've been studying this stuff for a long time and the only experts that i would know of would be somebody that's flying those uh, craft around and uh and through my investigations i don't believe that they're aliens anyway i think it's uh demonic spirits but not not getting into that today that stuff gave me uh a thought about what the show should be about when you're in, when you're uh an investigator for the mutual ufo network you're you have to use great judgment and great discernment when you're doing these investigations you have to go by the facts and these days when you're uh living in this world with all this fake news and uh, fake media and altered videos, uh, altered photos, it is very difficult to have good discernment about what's happening. Let's pull up uh, number two, Philippians 1.9, Spencer. Philippians 1 9, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Now let's go to number three. All right. Yes, yeah, scroll, scroll back up a little bit there. There you go. Now come down just a little. All right. Discernment is the ability to judge well. People with discernment are able to make keen observations about things. Discerning people always show insight and understanding. Now let's scroll down to number 13 on that list. We need discernment in what we see and what we hear and what we believe. Charles Swindle. Number 14, leaders with no discernment can do tremendous damage in a short amount of time. That's Mel Lawrence. Number 15, discernment is the ability to see things for what they really are and not for what you want them to be. Unknown. I really like that one a lot. Let's check number 16 out as well. When fake news is repeated, it becomes difficult for the public to discern. What's real? 
All right. Well, the reason I brought that up is because I want to show you a couple of cases where um, go to number four, Spencer. Have y'all ever heard of the platypus? I'm sure you have. This this mammal right here. And it blew it up just a hair. All right. I scroll down. I'm going to read that first paragraph there. It says the platypus is among nature's most unlikely animals. In fact, the first scientists to examine a specimen believed they were the victim of a hoax. The animal is best described as a hodgepodge of more familiar species. The duck for the bill and webbed feet. The beaver for its tail. The otter for the body and fur. Males are also venomous. They have sharp stingers on the heels of their rear feet and can use them to deliver a strong toxic blow to any foe. So when the first specimen was brought in, the scientists that studied this even thought it was fake. Now, I want to tell you about a, an event that happened in October of 1967. That was a significant event that got world news and is still debated today. On Labor Day weekend in Northern California, 1967, a crew was pushing logging roads into the vast wilderness. You're talking about way back in the woods. When you're going doing logging operations, you have to first bring a crew in to just push the trees over and make roads for your equipment to go in and out. Now, on Friday of that Labor Day weekend, the crew sets a tank in there. It was likely a fuel tank. You have to set these fuel tanks in there so that you can fuel all your vehicles. So the fuel tank would be sitting in the woods at a staging area and uh, a fuel truck would come in and fill it every now and then. And then the crews can come to that tank, fill their vehicles. Now the crew left for the weekend. And when the crew returned on Tuesday, because of the long Labor Day weekend, they found uh, they, they this is supposedly the way this story goes, folks. I'm not saying it's true. They find a set of footprints, three sets of footprints of different sizes. Some of them are quite large footprints. They get in touch with a guy called Roger Patterson, who's an independent researcher. Roger's investigating sightings of strange creatures and stuff. He wants to go out and see what's happening. So he calls a friend of his to go with him, Bob Giblin, who's a rodeo cowboy and horse trainer who's 36 years old at the time. Now, they don't arrive on the scene there where this tank's located until the end of September, 1st of October. So this happened on around September 4th or so. So three weeks or so has uh, passed before they arrive on the scene. When they got there, the tracks were no longer discernible. They set up camp many miles back into the wilderness, searched all over for evidence. They covered 20 to 25 miles per day on horseback, looking all around through the area to see if they could find any more sets of tracks or signs of these creatures, supposed creatures. On October 20th, 
36 miles back into this wilderness near Bluff Creek. They're on their horses. They come around a big downfall tree near the creek. It's got a huge, huge root ball at, at, at the base of it. Their horses see something. They panic. They blow up as in they, they're, they're, uh, they're going crazy. They're, they're fearful. As they approach the creek, the horses do this. Roger, he's not an experienced horseback rider, so he almost comes off his horse, but he manages to get his camera out of his bag as he comes off the horse, out of the saddle bag, gets it ready to try to get some footage. Because there's a creature there, folks, according to what their report is. Now, Bob, being a rodeo cowboy, he's able to stay on his mount. They see this creature. They get within 200 foot of this creature. And uh, Roger Patterson is able to get his camera going, and he's able to obtain less than 1,000 frames of video of this creature in about 60 seconds of time. After this happened, they searched for more evidence, but did not see the creature again. Now, Roger Patterson, that took the film footage, that was able to get some footage of this supposed creature, he passed away in 1972 at the age of 38. And this happened in uh, 1967, Northern California. Now, before we go into this any further, I'll just mention that the camera equipment that he was using was a Kodak 16 millimeter model K100 with a spring driven motor. Didn't have any batteries in it. It was wind up. Now I want to present some of these uh, the videos and we'll go through these videos and let you see for yourself some of what happened. And you're going to hear two different testimonies about this event that occurred. Number five, Spencer. Over the next decade, national interest in the story mostly faded until October 20th, 1967, when Roger Patterson an amateur filmmaker set out to Bluff Creek to do a documentary on a recent footprint discovery. But what Patterson found shocked the world. He shot 953 frames of film that many believe is the best evidence of Bigfoot. You will see that film in its entirety for one of the first times on television. Patterson passed away in 1972, never wavering from his story. But he was not alone on that fateful day. A massive bicep in the arm was, you know, wide like that. And as it moved, you could see the muscles ripping in the thighs. And the arms, even underneath that hair, you could see the difference in the, in the, you know, in the movement. Bob Gimlin was with Roger Patterson that day and for almost 40 years was able to stay out of the limelight and controversy. But in 2004... He did this interview recounting that day in 1967. The, the weather was great in October, so we, uh, Roger said, let's ride back up in some of them areas. We rode up that way, uh, up that creek bed away from our camp, which was probably a couple of miles. As we came around, uh, uh, there's a big downfall tree with a root system in the dirt, like a crow's nest, logs jammed together. As we came around that, 
then uh, of course the horses just blew up and this thing was standing right alongside the creek on the opposite side of the creek that we were on. It was massive and uh, the, the commotion of trying to get the camera out of the, the saddlebags while his horse was jumping around. I was watching the creature and it was walking away. It, well, the time we got the horses kind of settled down and Roger ran across the creek and Roger had the camera to his eye and then he stumbled kind of and fell down on his knees and then he got back up and he ran over to a log that was a little ways away and stabilized himself on the log. And by the, at that time I rode across the creek on my horse and just sat over there. The creature makes a turn, slight turn with its shoulders and kinda looks back. That's when I rode across the creek on the horse. That's when it made that, that gesture. So I was looking at it from the back. There are some trees or vegetation that was getting between Roger and the creature and he wanted to get a better and closer. So he relocated and when he did, he asked me if I would cover him, which meant uh, get the rifle and, and see, you know. And there was no intent to shoot this thing at all. Then uh, the creature just kept right on walking. At the time, it was hard for Gimlin to determine just how large the creature was. But he did find footprints. And people asked me, well, what do you think it weighed? And I thought, well, well it takes a big man to weigh 350. So I said, oh, probably 350 pounds. We weren't here when they got a whole, uh, got a, an impression gauge. And, and of course, they, they estimate after that that it was uh, uh, 700 or so pounds, or, you know, it was tremendously heavier than I'd thought. Patterson and Gimlin tracked the creature for miles, but never saw it again. And that's where the trail ended and the controversy began. All right, so that sounded pretty good. I mean, you hear that and you think, well, uh, that fella sounds like he's telling the truth and it says like he sounds like he's telling us the facts. Now, he did say that he got his facts wrong. He said that uh, he first thought it maybe was around. Uh, over six foot tall and 300 pounds. And then he said after they came back and did the analysis and had some other people do some examinations of the area, they think that the compression of the footprints was more in the area of seven or 800 pounds. But let's hear what this, uh, this next person says, Spencer, uh, number six, if we could start that video at one minute and 55 seconds. <laughs> According to Bob, Roger Patterson approached him in the fall of 1967 with an offer that was too good to pass up. He wanted a pretty good-sized guy, you know, uh, somebody they could trust to wear this Bigfoot suit. They said, uh, we'll pay you $1,000, and it only take about 10 minutes. So I was 26 years old at the time. I jumped on it, you know. After a trial run in Yakima, Bob says, they all shook hands and agreed to rendezvous in California in a few weeks' time. They met up in Bluff Creek, home of the infamous Wallace Tracks and many Bigfoot sightings. The next morning we got up and they made coffee and saddled up the horses, put the, the Bigfoot suit on the back of uh, one of the horses. We went about, uh, seemed like about a half a mile from where they were camped up into this place where they had picked out before I got there to film the Bigfoot film. 
we unloaded the the suit and uh, of course they helped me in it it was in october you know and i figured there might be hunters most people go to the mountains and have a gun you know you know it was so hot inside that suit and the sweat was just rolling off me and i was nervous you know and a little bit claustrophobic roger told me to go over to a certain place and stand there i got out there and waited and he gave me the signal he uh, was sitting on uh, one of the, my horse that he took down there. So he took the camera and kind of went like that. You know, as you can see, the film was shaky. He started walking out across there. And I walked, uh, I don't know how many yards it was. And I turned, you know, the old Bigfoot look and looked at him and went on. All this time, you know, waiting for a bullet to crack through my butt. That was the end of it. I thought I'd done a pretty good job. Millions of people have been fooled all these years. If they would have paid me the $1,000 like they promised, I would have kept my mouth shut. Of course, there's no hard evidence to prove Bob's story either. The suit hasn't turned up. What it boils down to is, was Roger Patterson incredibly lucky? or a hoaxer of extraordinary gifts. And in the end, experts on both sides of the equation agree. You certainly can't prove Bigfoot's existence. So now you got another man that sounds like he's possibly telling you the truth that's given a totally different testimony of the events. So when you're an investigator for, for a uh, MUFON or, or a police department, or anywhere else you've got to use discernment discretion and good judgment and you got to do your investigation and you have to go through the facts that's the same way that we have to do when we're researching the bible and we're trying to give facts to others that are learning uh, new christians that are learning the bible we want to make sure we tell them the right uh, information and give them the facts um so I'm giving you an idea of the kind of investigations that you have to go through when you're uh, evaluating a situation such as this. So number seven, Spencer, I want to show you all in 1970, 69 and 70, you had the Planet of the Apes movies coming out. So you had Hollywood putting out movies that had people dressed in ape suits. Let's let you see what an ape suit looked like on a human in Hollywood around 1970. Hello, General. I only pray you know what you're doing. How can you have any doubt, Dr. Zay? You're aware of the reports we've been receiving of strange manifestations in the Forbidden Zone? Manifestations. All right, that's good, you, Spencer. I... As you can see, uh, that was probably the best of the best that Hollywood was using at that time. So that guy said that he had a suit that they had bought and was hired to walk around in it to fool people. Now, was he able to obtain a suit that was uh, made to that quality 
to go 36 miles back in the woods on horseback? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. So now you got a situation where two different people are given two different testimonies. So Bob Giblin, the rodeo cowboy, he decided to come back out. He went, he went into hiding for many, many, many years. And then just a few years ago, he decided to come back out and follow up. Video eight will give his follow up. Uh, but when I got down on the ground, uh, it was a different story. I mean, but she was a little ways away from me then, and kind of you can see she's kind of uh, in a slouch position, kind of not not really standing up straight, or I guess that's about as straight as she walked all the time. But when she was just standing alongside the creek, she looked pretty doggone tall. But, you know, you got to be careful when you make statements because then they hold you to it all the rest of your life. And you say, well, hey, you know, it all happened so dramatically fast that I didn't have time to think about a lot of things because I hadn't planned on seeing one. And seeing one just was boom, 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 boom. And, you know, and so therefore it was... It was pretty dramatic. The naysayers, what do you say to them? I say, well, think whatever you want to think. I know what I saw. And if you've seen the film footage, uh, analyze it and think about it. And don't tell me that they can't exist and because uh, there's so many people out in the woods all the time that would see one. I'd say, don't, don't even talk to me about that. I said, you know, just think about what you're saying. And if you don't, then that's that's your ball game. You know, you can think. I said, I'm not out here to prove to anybody that they exist at all. I said, I know they exist. And I say, you know, there's no question. They say, well, is there a little bit of question? Is there a question whether you could have been fooled? I said, no way. No way. Well, we were away. We were 36 miles back in the woods. And the closest thing to us was guys up on the side of the mountain, way up high, starting to build a road, a logging road back. And they were up, way on up on the side of the mountain uh, with a Uh, Clay, you're muted, sir. Okay, thank you. So Bob comes back out, and he's he sticks to his story. He says that what he saw is what he saw. So now we've got to ask ourselves what the truth is. Now, one thing that I've thought about is this camera was an old wind-up 16-millimeter camera, and the lighting you know, couldn't be adjusted perfectly, and it was real grainy. You couldn't see it very well. Well, now modern technology has cleaned up these videos to where you can, they've stabilized them and clarified them. So I want to, I want to let you think that if, let's assume that Bob did see a creature, think about seeing it not through a grainy lens and think about that he saw it in pure clarity in reality. And these, this uh, next couple of videos will at least give you an idea of what he might have saw if this thing is real. 
Go ahead, Spencer. Play number eight. All right, and number nine. Now, when you're an investigator for, say, the Mutual UFO Network, all you can do is write up the facts for an uh, incident such as this. That's all you can do. You, you, you're not, they don't ask you to really give your opinion. You just give the facts, and you have to uh, come up with your own uh, discernment about what the truth is. Uh, now, in my opinion, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll add this to it. There's some more. We'll, we'll add a link in. Spencer, there's a, a link that I, I gave you. We're not going to show it right now, but whenever we post these links to the show, you'll be able to see another extensive interview that somebody did with somebody that claims that they were the ones that made the suit that they sold to this guy for the guy to wear. So that's more more facts that you're going to have to use to discern this this case. Now, in my opinion, uh, since we weren't there, and I don't personally know these people, and I weren't able, I wasn't able to interview them in person, so I can't I can't uh, you know go by their uh, body gestures and stuff like that. But I don't think we've got enough evidence to know one way or the other what's true. That's my opinion on it. But let's ask ourselves. What would you say to Bob if he asked you how this creature fits into the Bible? Because there's people out there, if they see, uh, let's say they see a light in the sky, they see a UFO or they see a creature, they see something that we're not used to seeing every day and they come to you and they're not a Christian or possibly they go to church, but they're not a, a, a reborn Christian and they ask uh, or maybe maybe they're even a reborn Christian, and they ask you, how does this fit into the Bible? What would you tell them? I'll open it up now. Let's talk about this for a few minutes. Go ahead, Mara. Come on in. Thank you, Craig. Um, what a beautiful show. I really appreciate it. This is so nice. I really needed to hear what you're saying. Psalm 115, 4, 5, and 6. Their idols are silver and gold and work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses, but they have, but they do not smell. They are hands, but they do not huddle 
free they have, but they do not walk, nor do they mutter throughout their thought. Hallelujah. Thank you. Thank you, Mara. Uh, Stephanie just wrote, wrote me, texted me, says, I have seen them. She says, they are real. Been dealing with them most of my life. My entire family has encounters. Too many to list. Bigfoot led me to Jesus. It's part of my testimony. I took Dennis and Reggie to the mound recently where the encounters happened. We found territory markers. They still walk around that mound. Brother Allen. Alan Zypher, come on in, brother. Morning, brother. Yeah, I believe uh, I believe this, Clay. I've got some friends and stuff that's run into some stuff. Uh, back in about 1998, I had something happen myself. I believe they're supernatural, brother. I believe they can come in and out of dimensions. And, uh, you know, it's just something that uh, it's a mystery. But I do believe they are real. But I believe they are supernatural beings, brother. Well, thank you for your comments there. I'll tell you what, uh, there's a show called Sasquatch Chronicles. Y'all might want to write that down, Sasquatch Chronicles. It's a podcast, and there's hundreds of people that tell their stories about uh, uh, creatures that they saw. Now, let's let's, let's consider the fact that this guy may have been walking around in a suit in this particular incident. If you've got hundreds and hundreds of people saying that uh, they've seen something, then even if this one case is a fake, doesn't mean that there's not possibly another creature out there similar that doesn't look anything like this. Come on in, Rachel. Rochelle, I'm sorry. That's all right, Clay. Hey, you're doing a great job. Um, So the question, how how do these fit into the Bible? How could you lead someone into the Bible with this creature um well what comes to mind right away is genesis 6 you know you got the fallen angels coming down mixing the seeds they send against the plants the animals everything so this could be some some hybrid creature that they genetically messed with even after the flood they we think they're still doing that could be human that, that could be a human diff, totally different breed could have nephilim blood um the fact that the Bible allows for the supernatural and there's answers in the Bible for all of everything. Um, I think the weird stuff in the Bible really is captivating. So um, I, I told my dad, he's, he loves Bigfoot. He says he's the, um, he's the uh, best hide and seek <laughs> uh, out there. <laughs> Nobody can find them, but he's always, um, expressed a belief i think he may have seen something when he was younger and he said that it was very stinky i don't know if they if they're interdimensional because but but they could be um who knows i'm open i think just being open that's not the only ones walking this earth and Thank you. You're breaking up a little bit, Rochelle, but uh, I agree. Genesis mm-hmm. six comes to mind, and uh, and with that platypus, that's why I showed the platypus at the beginning because the platypus 
was a uh, creature that they thought was a hoax when it was showed to the first scientist. I think the problem with the the supposed Bigfoot creature is that it's a bipedal creature that walks standing upright. If it was walking around on all fours, nobody would have a big problem with it being a possibility of being alive. Reggie, come on in. Good morning, Thanks, Reggie. Good morning. So in order to understand a lot of these stories, you, yeah, absolutely, Genesis 6, but many Christians do not go into Apocrypha or the Dead Sea Scrolls. That would help people to open up their understanding a little bit past what they've learned in just, you know, the, 60, the 66 books. Um, I have had encounters. I know that people, like, <laughs> it's hard to talk about these things because as me, I, 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 I want to write a book. Stephanie and I want to write a book. Because it's unbelievable when your whole entire life is filled with the supernatural. I didn't understand what that was. And I do have met, I have met others that wouldn't, they are not naysayers because they themselves have shared stories with me where since I've been born, I mean, since I could go back, I've had interactions with the supernatural. I believe there are people that God has allowed to do this. Um, I've had alien encounters. I've had an abduction. I've had, you know, Stephanie, I wish she'd get in here and not text you because we had an encounter, her and I alone, not with Dennis. And then when I got back, so they are supernatural in a sense that they're natural. I don't know how to make sense of that. They can come in and out, but I think that there's different kinds. I believe that there are families. I believe because we had after my yeah. encounter, when, when I had my encounter, uh, we were at the back of our property and we had a marker right after it. And I'm like, well, I, I won't cuss, but I'm like, holy, they followed us. So they are, they, they know who can see them too. It's, it's, I could go on, it's your show. I just wanted to tell you they're real. They're very real. Well, thanks. Let's, I'll tell you what, let's, let's, we're going to have to go into the after show with some of these comments. It looks like what I want to tell everybody is that uh, through my experience, as a MUFON investigator, I've had a lot of people that would not come to Christ and not come to church because they saw something that they couldn't explain. And when they approached a, uh, uh, a preacher about it or a pastor about it, the pastor wouldn't answer their questions. And so they Amen. didn't feel like they fit into church. And I don't want to be one of those people. So I'm willing to hear what people have to say. And I'll take their word for what they said. And then we'll try to address them with the Bible. So don't be afraid to approach any of us in here if you've seen something and you have questions. Now, y'all have a blessed day, a blessed weekend, and stay around in the after show if you can, and we'll uh, we'll talk to some more people about Bigfoot. Have a blessed day.